0: You're listening to the Rua Space Podcast. friends, and welcome to the RUA Space Podcast, where we help you make space for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in your everyday life. I'm Phil, and today I am joined by Richard Lewis. And I'm excited to bring you this conversation because he's been on the podcast in the past when we talked about sort of the nuts and bolts of Centering Prayer, a... Uh, A conversation I really recommend that you go and listen to, but it's not necessary to have listened to that one to engage this conversation today. But he's back on the podcast today to talk about his new book, Sitting with God. And so in this conversation, he helps us dive into some of the outcomes of centering prayer. Of course, we engage contemplative practices to deepen our relationship with God, not to earn something, but it does bear fruit in our lives. It does make a difference. And so we talk about things such as letting go and how the centering prayer and contemplative practices that invite us into silence build us up to let go of things in the rest of our daily lives that might be getting in the way or taking us away from the present moment. So we talk a lot about how Prayer time affects all the rest of our lives, the type of fruit that it can bear, that it's not just about that time of prayer, but it really shapes us as the type of people who are open to experiencing God and the work of God in the world in our quote unquote non-prayer times. This is one of those conversations that I think gets better and better as it goes on. So I hope you'll stick with it because Richard shares some really important stuff that was a blessing to me and I believe can bless and challenge you as well. Because friends, silence does teach us. It is an opportunity to grow closer to God and our own story. So friends, thank you so much for joining us in this episode today. I pray it is a blessing and it helps you make space in your life for what matters most. Rich, welcome back to the Rua Space podcast. It's so great to have you and honor to get to talk with you about Centering Prayer again.
1: Thanks. Thanks for having me back. its It's been a couple years or so and it's great to be back and I'm excited to uh, talk to your community about my book, Centering Prayer, and any other topics we want to share with your community.
0: Absolutely. I've been diving into sitting with God this last week, which just came out a week ago. So congratulations on that. I do highly recommend people go check it out. You can find the link in the show notes and such. But we have had you on the show before where we really dug into centering prayer, what it is, how you do it. But what stood out to me in this book was how personal it was and all the things it's done for you. So I think this time we can focus a little bit on all the changes and uh, what it could mean to other people. So with that, can we talk about letting go? Because I feel like there's there's so much to this idea of letting go and what that's meant to you and what that can offer to anybody who enters into silence.
1: I mean, if you think about it, letting go is not just part of centering prayer. I mean, we do that practitioners do that as part of centering prayer practice. Let go with your sacred word or if you use an image or your breath to open to the presence and actions of God within. But the letting go that you do in centering prayer, I like to remind people, you need to continue to do that outside of centering prayer. So wherever you are and whatever you're doing, you often need to let go of things or thoughts that are getting in the way of what you even need to do right in front of you and open to whatever that task is, whether it's sitting and talking with a spouse or friend, or or listening to your child, or helping someone, you need to let go of anything that's an obstacle so that you can be present to that person or that task. So it's not just confined to centering prayer. So it helps the practice and centering prayer helps you let go in everyday life.
0: So when you say letting go, what does that look like in a centering prayer practice? How do you go about it? Or how do you sort of think about it, I guess?
1: Well, in the practice, you know, as I mentioned, and I think maybe it's important to, to set, talk about, we call it the sacred word, but really it could be a word, which is generally one, two, or three syllables. It could be an interior image. So, and I recommend people use a word if you're an auditory person. Use an image, and I use an image um, of the Jesus icon in my head, and I, and I don't draw it out of my head, but I use it if you're a visual person. If you're a more physical person, use your breath. And then if you just don't want to close your eyes and think you might fall asleep during Centering Prayer, you can center with your eyes open and stare at a spot in front of you. So in Centering Prayer, you, you sit, get comfortable, and then begin. generally begin it with your sacred word. And, and the purpose of it is just to open to the presence and actions of God within. And then whenever you find your engaging any type of thought or emotion, you begin planning the day, you begin thinking about what you're going to do after you're set, or you think about something in the past that you regret or wish you had done better. That's when you interiorly bring this word to the forefront, and then even let go of it once you're back to the present. And you do it as often as you need to. Sometimes you don't need to do it, and you naturally bring yourself back. Other times, if you need to do it what seems like a zillion times that's okay because you're just returning to the present and returning to opening to the presence and actions of God within.
0: Yeah, I I love that you mentioned breath there because that's the one that has been the most important for me. I'll do I'll do a sacred word or I'll do other practices as well, but that returning to the breath has really meant a lot to me personally. And what I discovered is as you said, in your book, you talk about how it strengthens our reflex of letting go, right? So as you were saying, in our relationships and our work, we have to sort of let go. And when we do that in the prayer, it strengthens our ability to do that otherwise. So can you think of a time where um, you have been outside your centering prayer, where you discovered that that reflex had been strengthened, that you noticed it, you're like, ooh, that is where I would have done something differently before this practice had become
1: so important um yeah i mean a couple work for example my everyday job ton of tasks and sometimes it can become overwhelming so i i sometimes use my sacred word just to let go and then come back to the present and then really take a look at my list and determine this is this one needs to be done first and let go of all of the other ones so that that would be one example another example um i have children and, and after working a long day, even during the day, that, now that I'm working from home with COVID-19, they'll knock on the den and wanna talk with me. And I try to let go and realize it's okay to be interrupted and, and I need to give them some attention and, and answer the question or whatever it is they might need instead of getting you know angry and frustrated with them. So I have to let go of the first reaction of, I don't wanna be bothered to, it's my child, it's my children, and I really need to listen to them and just be present with them because it's really 10 or 15 or 20 seconds of something they wanted and then off they go.
0: <laughs>
1: so when you say
0: letting go, does that mean that those thoughts or other things don't matter? Or what, when you say letting go, what might you say to someone about those things that you're sort of letting go? What is the purpose of
1: letting them go? So you're, you're just kind of observing an emotion. I a lot of it is is an emotion attached to it that I'm annoyed that I'm being bothered, or you might be letting go of a thought about yourself where you're just not being kind and gentle with yourself, where you're thinking, who am I to think I can take on this task? Or I don't, I don't have the confidence to do this or, or even I can't do this. And and it's a task that's beyond my ability. You begin to realize um, with really any contemplative practice, even not only centering prayer, that you can kind of step back from this thought and emotion And it's not you, and you can observe it and say, that's not me. So I am confident, and that's not me. The reason the task is for me is because I am the right person. So you you cultivate the ability to observe your thought and then realize, I am not that thought. And you can even let it go. And they actually even just replace it, if you want to, with a, a thought that says, I am confident, and I am the right person to do this, and everything will be Okay.
0: So what happens when you do that in prayer? When you are doing a 20-minute sit, because I know you do two 20-minute sits most days, right? Right. Then as you let a thought go... What is the purpose of that? I think a lot of people when they think of prayer think of, well, I have to sure. say something. So go into, you know, you talk about silence is God's classroom, which I love. I think that's a quote we should all post on our wall, you know. Um, <laughs> so what is it about the silence and what is it about letting go of those thoughts that opens you specifically in your relationship to God?
1: Well, I, the purpose of the letting go in your prayer is really you're removing all the obstacles to God. <laughs> God is within us deeper than our thoughts, deeper than our emotions, deeper than our physical sensations. So we're letting go of all the clutter that's getting in the way of just sitting and being with God, you know, being with being. So the, the main purpose of it is, is just to connect with God at as, as deep a level as possible, communing with God beyond words, thoughts, and images, where we're just sitting and resting in the rest of God. It's just another wonderful way to pray. And I think of it as, during that time, God's praying in me. So I think of centering prayer as a reverse prayer. I'm sitting with God. I'm letting go of obstacles that get in the way. And I'm letting God pray in me whatever God needs to pray in me. And and that could be anything. It could be wisdom, confidence, excitement, peace, whatever God thinks I might need the rest of the day when I get up, get up from my sit. So that's you know, that's how I think of it. Um, we enter center in prayer just to be with God because we love God, but God over time seems to transform us um, and, and work in us and do some wonderful things in us when we look back in hindsight and realize um, what's happened in our lives and how we're different over time as a result of this practice. So it's just a different, and I'm not, by all means, I'm not saying get rid of your other prayer forms, because I do practice other forms of prayer. Centering prayers complements them. So please continue to practice your other forms of prayer and include centering prayer in it as well.
0: Yeah, I think that's an important point that you were getting into there, that we see the fruit of that practice in hindsight. And I know in some of my conversations with people when they would try something like centering prayer or a breath meditation and they sort of let go of thoughts, they say, well, nothing else happened Then I was just sitting there. And so for you, what's happening as you talk about God praying in that time, what is the fruit that you see to say, ah, something happened there, even if it didn't feel like it was happening in the moment, what is the fruit? Where do we see the change?
1: No, excellent question. And I've had a lot of people ask me that, you know, nothing's happening. I'm not going to do this anymore. And I say, <laughs> congratulations, nothing is supposed to happen. <laughs> exactly. The, the pra- so centering prayer itself is really two things. It's a practice, and it's also a relationship with God, which is a window or a portal to contemplative prayer. And contemplative prayer really is just sitting in the pure presence of God however you want to describe that, because that's kind of a hard thing to describe. But it's really, and that's why we let go during Centering Prayer. We let go of all thoughts and emotions and barriers to God so that we're sitting as closely to God as possible, which is a paradox because God's not sitting just next to us. God is in us. Um, uh, The divine image of God is within us. So that's what we do during Centering Prayer, and we let God act in us. And you notice fruits after the practice. So for me, and I, I've been practicing since June of 2014, You know, I've noticed a number of fruits. Um, one is just an excitement for life. And I enjoyed life before, but now I just seem to really have an excitement for life before that I didn't have before my sits. And I have a confidence that I didn't have before. And after sits, I seem to have wisdom for tasks that I need to do um, that just seem to pop into my head. And maybe it's because I'm letting go, as I'm doing my work, I'm letting go of the things that aren't going to help me. And then I'm better able to hone in on what will and find a solution much quicker. So definitely confidence, excitement for life, an inner wisdom, calmness, uh, more of an inner peace. So what I think the neat thing is each practitioner, the fruits of Centering Prayer are kind of unique for each practitioner. So as I said earlier, even though we enter a center in prayer with no expectations, simply because we love God, and I try to remind myself that that (laughs) as much as possible, because I'm not sitting with someone because I I want anything or need anything. I'm sitting with God because I love God, and I want God to transform me and pull out my true self. What are the actions God wants me to take in the world?
0: Yeah, God's not like a vending machine where centering prayer is the uh, dollar bill that you have to put in (laughs) in order to get something out from God, but um, just a relationship to be in God's presence. And I know for me, you know, that name centering prayer. and, and And I appreciate that you said that there's a lot of contemplative practices that are very similar. You know, in your book, you talk about Lectio Divina and even just now you talked about breath that but but it centers us that that sort of becomes the foundation that we then live out of. And so I know for me, I've noticed, you know, I, I've i lived with anxiety a lot of my life. And when I when I can do a practice like Centering Prayer, when I can engage the silence, I discover that when difficult things come up, it's not of my own strength that I'm all of a sudden different, but it's almost like my body and mind and spirit have been trained to return to that center, which is no longer my strength, but returning to the fact that, God is right there next to me. It's almost like it gets me used to that, I guess.
1: Right. No, and you're right. And I'm glad you mentioned that. I I like to remind people, some of my coaching clients, if centering prayer is not a fit for them and it's not a fit for everybody. I had one person that said, I need kind of a mantra in my head. So I suggested, so we continued working together, but they started doing Christian meditation where you're using kind of a mantra interiorly. And that, that helped them. And that's just another window into the same place that you're going and centering prayer. Lectio Divina is, is the same thing. You can almost think of the last step of Lectio Divina is um, like centering prayer or Christian meditation where you're resting in God. Um, so there's many – the Jesus prayer, your breath, walking, the prayer labyrinth. There's many different contemplative paths. So if one of them doesn't work for you, try another one that's a good fit. And, but I suggest to people, once you find it, try it for stick with it for at least a month or so, and then dig deep in that well and see where it takes you. So centering prayer has worked for me, so I'm staying in, in this well and digging deeper and deeper into it. So that's what I suggest to people find the right practice for you, and then stick with it and, and dig deep and see what wonderful things happen to you and how God transforms you.
0: Yeah, we're all made different, right? Our, our, our minds, our bodies, our spirits function in different ways. And so um, it doesn't mean that one is wrong or one is better, but each one might bring us to God in a different way. And again, I love the idea that it's not earning something, but it's, you, you know, you mentioned resting in God. And so how has your view of God changed maybe before you started centering prayer and as you've gone into it? I know non-dualism is a big part of your uh, sitting with God book. So maybe how did you view God before and what has changed in your view and relationship with God the past few years?
1: Um, I, I guess what I would definitely say is you know, God has moved from being above me and looking down at me and even judging me or criticizing me and making me think that I'm not doing the right things or, or acting right. God has changed from that to being a God that um, not only, well, still is above me, but he's not, and I, I, don't, I don't want to say he, it could be he, she, spirit, It not judging me, but loves me and, and wants the best for me and wants me to help me. So it's still God above me, but a God with me, a God walking with me, and a God within me. And a God that's a presence a very inclusive loving compassionate empathetic presence that is always with me um, and that I have no reason to fear and no reason to think that God loves me no matter what period unconditional love so that my that's how it, God has changed for me and I see it through Jesus you know in the gospels that the Jesus the human Jesus we see in the Gospels and I believe Jesus is God and human at once you know Jesus was the human actions uh, um that he best wants us to display and as we walk on this earth
0: and that you know when we when we get into that and and i think this is what's so unique about your book and i think so unique about these practices is that for a lot of people who are listening to this they're probably western church people right whether it's catholic or protestant we are probably in the u.s or canada or europe or or one of these places and our faith is very intellectual. So we talk about Jesus being God and human, but it's like a mind practice. It's like something that's a hypothetical in, in our heads, but centering prayer and other contemplative practices are something we're actually engaging with our whole body. So right. how has this practice helped you not just maybe, And maybe you feel like you understand the paradox of Jesus and God less um, because God becomes more of a mystery as you enter into, cont- rather than getting more answers through contemplative prayer, it, I think it opens up more questions in a positive way. But how have you come to understand that Jesus paradox, for example, or non-dualism or um, whatever it may be, not just on an intellectual level, but what has it done in your body and your spirit and then therefore in your life?
1: And the one thing I'm glad you're saying that the contemplative practice is our body is included. That's very true. Even though you might think you're just bringing your mind and your thoughts and your heart, you're bringing you, you you're sitting with God, you're full, you know, full humanity, full human body. And then all of your um, emotions and physical sensations and thoughts that all comes. So even though there's walking you know, prayer labyrinths and walking meditations, centering prayer still, I think is a physical practice. You're, Sitting, and all of you comes. so I'm glad you mentioned that. And then when you think about the paradox, um, I like to think about um, that I'm sitting with Jesus, and that's a paradox. I'm sitting with God, but or sometimes I'll just say I'm sitting with Jesus, and it's kind of the same thing. and you know what? It really doesn't matter if I don't completely understand it, but <laughs> I like to think of I'm sitting with the pure presence of God and Jesus or the Christ. And then I'm getting up from my sit. So I'm sort of in the non-dual posture, I guess you could call it, where I'm just open and sitting with God and Spirit and and the Christ. And then when I get up from my Centering Prayer sit, I'm walking with Jesus and taking the human actions of Jesus. So when I sit, my little d, uh, little d, little divine being me rich lewis is sitting with big d big god you know capital d and connecting and then i'm getting up from my sit and the human rich is taking actions because of the, div- the divine the, the divine connection with the two of us and what the actions i should take so i, I don't know if that how, how does that sound i think of it that way i'm, I'm sitting with um God, my little D and the big D are connecting. And then I'm getting up from my sit. And that's determining my human actions.
0: Yeah, well, and and maybe I should have asked this first is maybe for those who aren't, you know, non dualism is kind of a big term. But when you think of dualism, it's these either ors, that there's this separation, right. that you are distinct from me. Um, God is a being that is totally distinct and separate and 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 um, the world is different. But uh, non-dualism starts to see the interconnectedness of all those right. things. And so when you're sitting with God, what has this taught you about the non-dualism of you and God, I guess, um, how you're connected, I guess, and what that connection looks like or means. And I know this can be kind of heady, but I think, <laughs> and and I think, and I, but I think it's heady until you experience it. That's one thing that you know, reading Saint Teresa of Avila and and others, uh, they sometimes struggle to explain it using words because it's something you have to experience. But we'll do our best. So so talk about non-dualism, uh, this this sure. uh, this interconnectedness, maybe that's a better word the connection between you and god and then what does that teach you about your connection to the world and to others what do you do differently because of that
1: yeah i guess the interconnection means we're we're not apart so i'm I'm not the it's whereas my centering prayer sit doesn't mean i sit with god and then i get up and say goodbye until my next centering prayer sit. we're always connected um god and i are always connected and then what that really means is you know. Other people are connected to God. So I'm really not only just connected to God, I'm connected to everything. You could even, and, it, and I know it's heady or whatever you call, we're connected <laughs> to everything that exists. We're, we're all in this thing together. The plants, the waters, the animals, the oceans, the forests, we're, we're all connected. Um, so what, then what does that do? It means you begin to think more about how you're conducting yourself in this world Um, Are you being um, considerate of everything and and in your actions? Um, Are you open more, or even if you think about people, you may not like everybody you come across, but you begin to be more open to listening to what they have to say and not be so quick to criticize and judge because maybe what they have to say, you've just never heard that viewpoint and it's really okay. It opens your eyes. So non-dualism, the fact that we're all connected, everybody has their part to play. Like a large company, for example, you need diverse people coming in with different skill sets, different than yours, to have a very successful company, and everybody needs to accept it. So we kind of need to do the same thing just in general in your life. You need to be more open and accepting of everybody because everybody has valuable skills and abilities and thoughts and opinions that are needed, and you need to be open to it and open to listening to it, and just let it be. Um, and you might even determine that I'm wrong, and in the way I was thinking, and I, or I was too closed, and I need to be more broad-minded or take more of a, le- a, le- a word for it, widen the, le- widen the lens of my eyes instead of being so narrow-focused and not being open to, to things.
0: And see, I feel like this is a really important point for our world right now, today, especially, I mean, we're in an election year in the United States, right? So the idea of listening to someone else or being connected to someone on the other side of the aisle can sound very far-fetched to people. And I feel like one of the mistakes our world makes is saying, by stating the importance of it, we can just do it. Like we can just decide to listen better. We can just decide to be connected to someone else. But I think the practice is pretty vital to getting there. Because can we just decide in our minds to do these things? Like wake up tomorrow. I'm going to be more open to others. I'm going to be less judgmental. Like can can I just choose
1: to be that way? Or I would say you can try. But I think any type of contemplative practice helps you because it slows you down it, it grounds you it centers you i mean i like to tell people and it sounds it sounds like a paradox but it's been true in my life when, when you learn the being the just being that you do in centering prayer or whatever your contemplative practice helps you for the being in life and just being more open to life and listening to life and taking actions appropriately and sometimes the best action is no action sometimes the best action is somebody else is better suited for that task and i I need to remove my ego and realize that you know what i'm not the right person for this some of it is a shared responsibility that i need some help with this and maybe i don't know as much as i think i know so i think the more and more you practice any type of contemplative practice you get the being you do in the practice helps you with the being that you do in life with Anything you need to do, wherever that is, whether it's at home with the family, with your community, at work, you're better. uh, You you work better in society.
0: Yeah, it's um, it's training. You know, I remember in seminary they used to talk about uh, church worship service being practice unto life. And I think of contemplative practices a little bit that way, that in and of itself, it's a beautiful time where you're not doing it in order to gain something from God. However, as you do it, you discover that it's a practice that shapes you for how you live the rest of the week. Sort of like when Paul talks about praying without ceasing. Well, geez, do I need to talk to God all the time? How could I possibly do that and get anything else done? But it sounds like a little of what you're saying and what these practices do is During the 5, 10, 20 minutes, however long you do it, it's like you're training yourself to see God, to hear God, to notice, to slow down, to let go, so that the other 23 odd hours, that's just now a part of who you are. And And it's like it comes from the Holy Spirit who's within you.
1: Right. And one thing I guess I do want to emphasize, because some people will say, you know, is this prayer... Um, biblical or, or, or some churches or people will have uh, challenges with it, thinking it's not, it's not prayer and it's not a real way to pray. And I, and I like to, to share that if you look at Jesus in the Gospels, we don't know exactly how he always prayed, but we often hear of him going off to be alone. And we can only surmise that he didn't just babble on during prayer, that he just sat and was with God. So in some capacity, he practiced some type of silent prayer, whatever it looked like for him. Um, We we definitely can surmise that. And then even he fasted in the Bible. um, And I think you read it in Amos Smith's book where when you fast, and if you're going to fast for 40 days, you need to conserve your energy. So Jesus was probably very still and silent and not eating, obviously. So he couldn't babble on and on. It would burn up too much energy. So we can only surmise that Jesus practiced silent prayer. And there's a lot of verses in the Bible. Be still and, and know I'm God, um, and, and phrases where Jesus went off alone, um, away from the crowds to be silent and or just to get away. So, my opinion, it's you know it is very biblical. And silent prayer is is biblical, and that's probably how Jesus prayed, because when you're with your wife or spouse or friend, you're not always talking. Sometimes it's just nice to be that with that person. I think Jesus did the same thing, and we're encouraged to do the same thing as well.
0: Yeah, it makes complete sense. And I feel a little bit too, and and I think my experience has taught me this, that this type of prayer, I think it requires a little bit more trust and a little bit more patience. Um, And what I mean by that is... I think that our prayer life can very easily go back again into earning something or receiving praise or um, doing enough so God owes you something or whatever it may be. And I wonder if sometimes we're scared of silence because we think we're not doing anything, therefore not earning anything, therefore nothing's going to
1: happen. Right. When the reality is, um, a lot is happening. When you, when you're silent and removing obstacles to God, you're letting God act in you, and I, I think you get nudges to do things. And if, speaking from my own personal life, greater than four years ago, I wasn't. I didn't have a website called Silence Teaches. I didn't coach people. I wasn't writing a book. I wasn't doing interviewing with a lot of different podcasts. I began practicing centering prayer. And it has, tra- God has prayed in me and sent me, quite frankly, to go. Um, so these are actions God is putting in me, and God told me to create silence. I'm not saying I heard an audible voice, but there was an inner nudge, and all of a sudden I have silence teaches, and then, and, 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 I, and I had a weekly meditation, and then it, then it grew into I like, ta- I like teaching it, so I offered it in the community. And then from there, it went to, well, I like talking to people one-on-one, and I offer coaching. And then it went into, I'm writing a book. And that's another way that I can share centering prayer with people. So centering prayer or any contemplative practice, God transforms you, and you become the person God wants you to become. And really the most exciting part is there's no end point, so I'm never done. I come to each sit as a beginner, try to be as open as possible, come with no expectations, and then let the fruits of it reveal itself outside of the prayer. So I'm excited to see you know, what, what am I going to do the next five years, 10 years, 15 years? What will silence teaches look like? Will I have another book? What will I, will I be doing something? What else, what other page will be added to my website that I'm, that I'm moving <laughs> into that I, it, because I've listened, sat in the silence of God and let God act in me. So I, I highly encourage people to practice some silence in their life because it helps you continues to become the person God wants you to be, which is an incredible journey. I,
0: does, does it help you with humility at all? Because is there a sense in which you realize more when it's silence and God's doing the acting, it doesn't really have much to do with me anymore? Not to say you don't matter, but sort of to say, mm-hmm. hey, I didn't bring anything to this practice, but now I'm seeing what God is doing. So it must be God. Do- you know what I mean? Does that make sense?
1: No, it does. Because I think without it and with it, where would I be? I, I, de- I, don't, obviously I, don't, I definitely do not think I, I would have had any of this stuff that I just mentioned. I don't think I would have had a book and a website and, and help coach people or work with churches to teach, help teach their community center in prayer. It was definitely, you know, as, as, and I may have said it earlier, I'm sitting with God, then I'm getting up and partnering with God as I walk through everyday life. And that's, for me, the best way to do it. I'm, I'm, I need God God needs me, he needs my human actions, and I need God giving me the inner nudges or wisdom or peace or confidence that I need for my human actions. So we both need each other. So if if I cut the tie to God, I can do my human actions, but probably only half as good.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Have you found a time, so we've talked about what it's done positive. Has there been a time where you didn't do centering prayer where for a day or a week, it sort of fell off at all during all those years?
1: Um, no, it, it hasn't. I mean, so I wouldn't say I, I probably had not mm-hmm. missed a day. There's been days where I've missed a second sit. So it's, I would say I probably had never missed the first sit because it's the first thing I do before I get up and begin my day. So if it's a during the week and I'm working, I get up 20, 30 minutes earlier. Um. So that one has probably never been missed. And then, if I'm not working, it's really when I get up is when I do it, and then I resume my day with the family and make coffee and and all that kind of stuff. So it maybe it's more the second one where I have to make sure I remember um, to do the second sit. And I would tell people that you know don't underestimate the power of the second sit. So generally, I do it during the work week. I generally do it before lunch, and I like to eat later, so it's probably closer to one o'clock in the afternoon. But after the second sit, I'm always amazed by how how much work I get done, or it's more so at five or six o'clock when I'm done the work, I look back and, I, and I'm baffled or surprised like, wow, I got all that done. And I attribute it to centering prayer because it just slows you down and let the letting go and centering prayer that I can let go as I'm doing my job, let go of what I don't need for the task and hone in and focus on what I need for the task. So... The second sit I highly encourage. So that's the one where time to time I might miss or I might do it in the evening, but there have been times where I've just forgot it. So I, I probably need to have some alarm <laughs> go off on my phone or something like that. So as much as possible, I do it. And, and it's hardly probably hardly ever that I don't do the second sit, but I have missed the second sit if I'm just in a zone doing my work.
0: <laughs> and And do you then see a difference on those days when you don't, looking back, when you don't have that second sit?
1: I think I probably was not as productive just because the second sit, because there was a period of time a couple years back where work was very, very hectic. And I actually um, shifted to three sits, but I slowed down, um, not slowed down, I I lowered the time. So I did a 13 minute sit and I did three. And I did one in the morning, one before lunch, and then one even at like three o'clock in the afternoon because I really needed, I was anxious. And work was hard, and, and, and I almost didn't even want to be there. So I did three sets for a period of time, and then when things got better, I shifted back to the two 20-minute sets. So,
0: I mean, I, I'm impressed. So you've been practicing Xenermic Prayer for more than four years, right?
1: I've been practicing for, since June of 2014. Oh, I mean, six years. Six, six, I guess that's six and a quarter years or something like that. So
0: what has been your key to doing that every morning for six years? How'd you do that?
1: I don't know. I just did it. And, and it's, <laughs> the, the ironic part is like I, I was dabbling in silence before that, and, and, but I didn't know what to do. I read a lot of, Carl. I don't know if you're familiar with Carl McColman, the big book of Christian mysticism. Okay. Um, and answering the contemplative call, I think is the name of the book. But he talked a lot about silence and how transforming it was, but there, he didn't specifically say a practice in there. So I just began trying, you know, moments of silence, one minute, two minute, and it was brutal. But I kept doing it, <laughs> and then I then I came across centering prayer in December of twenty thirteen in Ava Smith's book, you know, Healing the Divide. Found the practice, started, you know, dabbling with centering prayer. But then I don't know. Something in my mind just said I'm jumping in the Center in Prayer swimming pool. And I don't know what it was. But I, w- I jumped in in June 1st. I don't know what's magical. It just happened to be June 1st, 2014. I still remember the date. And I decided I'm going to practice twice a day for 20 minutes and see what happens. I, I think it's something I need to do. And then I just haven't looked back. That's <laughs> and a- I, I, feel, I guess I feel incomplete. I don't feel – but I, I don't feel – bad if I don't sit, because that's not, I don't think God, and I tell people that if you miss a sit, God doesn't, God's not angry at you. God will patiently wait for you for your next sit. God's delighted that you take even one or two minutes to sit. And that's not the only time God's with you. God's with you throughout the rest of the day, but just don't beat yourself up and just show up for the next sit.
0: So what would you say, and and maybe this has come up because you offer coaching. So little plug here. Go check out. We'll put a we can put a link at the end. Rich uh, can do coaching for you with this. But what would you say to someone who says? yeah, you know, I have a, a four year old and a seven year old. And so first thing in the morning, they're awake and I don't have 10 or 20 minutes to sit. You know, what, what might you recommend to someone who says, I just feel like my life is run by other people, often little people. <laughs> um, right. Do you have any tips or tricks or insight to that?
1: Yeah, I mean, one, you really have to be disciplined, but I guess you have to look at the ebbs and flows of your life and place your sit where it belongs. So your sit doesn't belong in the morning. If, if Unless you're able to get yourself up early enough where they're still sleeping, you might need to time your sits with if they're taking a nap and they're young enough. Do a, a sit. And maybe it's a shorter sit of, of five minutes or even two or three minutes, and that's okay. So you got, look, look at where there is an opportunity. When are they snapping or... If your home and your spouse works and then they come home, tell your spouse, I just need 20 minutes or 30 minutes or 15 minutes, can you please take them and then go to some part of the house that's quieter and private and do your sit. So have an agreement with your you know, significant other that you just need this 20 minutes and I'm assuming they'll, they'll help you there. So yeah, ha- I guess you have to just look at your life and where can I put the sit and then you really just need to discipline yourself. So if it means having a bell go off on your phone with, with the time or something to remind you, then that's what you need to do.
0: So one other thing before, because I don't want to miss this part. Another uh, it, thing that jumped out to me as, we, as I was reading this is you talk about openness and a beginner's mind and things like when we let go, paradoxically, we are the most open. What does that openness look like to you and, and how, does, how does a contemplative practice help you become more
1: open? I mean, I guess if you think the beginner's mind is really like being come to God and life as a child. I mean, if, if you can go back to your childhood and, and hopefully you had a good childhood and some people unfortunately did not. But if you think of a child, they're just playing. And, and I think of my own son, even though he's 12, he still does. It. He can grab an object and all of a sudden go off and have fun with this object for hours and hours in in his imagination. So it's coming to God like a child and being curious and spontaneous and playful and open to whatever can happen. Get rid of your ego, get rid of your planning, get rid of your critical thoughts of God, and just come to God with a curiosity of curiosity and openness of what might happen if, if you do this silent sit with God.
0: Yeah, because again, we're not. Is it because we're not expecting? God, we're not expecting God to do something. We're not trying to force anything. I again, that's where I just return to trust. Of this right. whole silence thing is just saying, basically, it's a God, Your kingdom come, Your will be done, and then exactly. we, or, or or um, you know, here I am, Lord, Your servant is listening. That that's that's all we can bring to the table, and that we are then open to whatever God might do. And I know in your case, that meant a website and a book and speaking and all these things maybe you didn't expect, but right. that then, that then you know, you have this other quote in the book that silence is often the best action. And that to me then is why, is that I think a lot of people think, well, this is boring or nothing's happening. But as we said before, a lot's happening. It's actually action.
1: Right, and, and, and even even in everyday life, Sometimes you know, you're sitting in line at a store or you're sitting behind a, and someone's taking forever and talking to the cash register person and you just want to get out of there. You don't really need to say anything. You don't need to start coughing to let them know you're behind. <laughs> um, or you're, you're driving your, your car and you're getting ready to make a left turn and this person isn't nudging past the line. They're sitting dead at the line and then the light changes and then the whole line of traffic hasn't moved. Your, your your reaction might be to bang the horn and that's probably not a why because you could possibly get them in an accident. So sometimes silence is the best action or or even just you're sitting in a room and someone's saying something to you and it's making you really angry. You don't need to have a reaction. You don't know what that person's been going through before that. You just need to listen. You might say something that you later regret and hurt your friendship with that person. So so that's what I kind of mean by sometimes silence is the best action because it could be harmful. Its effects, the not your non-silent actions, could be very harmful and not helpful <laughs> for the future.
0: <laughs> no doubt. Who knew silence could teach you so much, right? And and I think, and again, not to not to miss here, I think you know we're talking about the practice a lot, but I right. think what it's doing is opening God to do these things in us, right? Making us more sensitive to the nudgings of the Holy Spirit, um, sort of getting back in touch with who God made us to be.
1: Right. And I like to think of, you know, silence is not empty. It's filled with God. (laughs) That is so true.
0: Well, Rich, as we come toward the end of our time, what would you leave people with? Maybe a a few sentences of challenge or encouragement around contemplative practices, centering prayer, what it can mean. Huge question there.
1: (laughs) That's okay. No, a a couple things. One, I would simply say if, if you're new to centering prayer, you know, take baby steps, one or two minutes, and work your way up to 20 minutes. If you discover you really only can do five or ten minutes, that's okay, too. So take baby steps, work your way up, be kind and gentle to yourself, don't beat yourself up, just show up for the next sit. God will never stop loving you, God's delighted whenever you show up, but God's always with you anyhow, is the bottom line. So just dig deep in this well and see, see what happens. And then the other thing I'd just like to say is people, because I love to dialogue with people, so as people are reading my book, feel free to message me either in the comments section of my Facebook page, send me a private message, or even go to my website and contact me. And a lot of people have. I read everything and I engage in dialogue because I just love to interact with people.
0: Well, with that said then, where can people find you? Where's the best place to connect?
1: Sure. My website, and it's a simple name, silenceteaches.com. That's the best place to find me and connect with me regarding uh, what I'm doing, whether uh, they can come there and subscribe to my website, and you'll get my free ebook on Centering Prayer immediately. And then they can look at past posts that I have each week. They can look at my Centering Prayer page. They can look at my coaching page if that's something they desire. They can look at my book page if they want to learn more about my book and what others are saying about it. So silenceteaches.com is really the best place to come.
0: Yeah, and I do recommend signing up for that newsletter, that, that short ebook is very helpful for practicing Centering Prayer, for getting started. Some beautiful words from Rich, and I do highly recommend checking out his new book, Sitting With God, that did just come out. You can find the link wherever you're listening to this. The link will be right below. You can go straight to purchase that book to bless Rich and uh, help him continue putting out this great content and uh, learn something for yourself along the way. So, Rich, thank you so much. This was a blessing to have you on again. I, I totally appreciate your time and you're an encouragement to me. So thank you.
1: No, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me back. I I always love this talk with you. We have nice, fun conversations, and I hope this was something that will help your community. So thank you very much. Hey friends,
0: Phil here again. Before we go, I just wanted to say thank you again for joining us for this conversation. And I do encourage you to click that link below in the description and go ahead and pick up Richard Lewis's book, Sitting With God. I think it's worth the investment and the time as you look to make space for God in your life. And if you enjoyed this conversation, friends, we do interviews and podcast episodes every week at Rua Space. So I encourage you to go ahead and look through those archives, find some conversations and learn how you can make more space for God in your life. And we would also ask you to leave us a review on Apple iTunes. If you enjoyed this episode, that's a blessing to us and helps the podcast reach more And at Rua Space, we are starting our Patreon and our Yoga Faith membership soon. So if you're looking for more ways to grow in your faith, to connect deeper to God in your own story, I invite you to click the link below to ruaspace.com, sign up for our newsletter, and then you'll receive those updates where you can join our memberships and find out and explore and experience even more ways to grow in your faith. Thank you again, friends, and until next time, grace and peace. Be with you.